Uh, I'm going to be teaching to you tonight from the book of Philemon. This is, uh, this is such a cool book. It's very interesting to me, honestly. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about it. We'll get into the scripture momentarily. I want to talk to you just a little bit about this book because it has such an interesting detail to the narrative, why it even got there. Have you ever looked at scripture and wondered, like, how did it even get there? Why is it even there? So, for instance, I'll give you a perfect example of this, is that in the original text, Ezra and Nehemiah are not separate texts. It is all the book of Ezra and and what Ezra did when they came in. And so, um, as Nehemiah gets a burden to see Jerusalem restored, and he goes back into Jerusalem, but he, he goes before the king, he says... Why are you sad? Why is your countenance falling? What's wrong with you? He said, my city's burned down. I want to go back, right? So it, it's a bad day. It's a bad time. He's a broken man. The reason that Nehemiah made the historical entrance into the scripture was because of a bad day. He believed in the restoration power of God, and he believed in putting his back into where he had put his mouth. And saying, I'm not just going to talk about restoring this city. I'm not just going to pray about restoring it. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to, I'm going to go if this king will help me. And he said, I'm taking all the resources. You ever heard somebody say, put your money where your mouth is? That's what Nehemiah was doing. That's why we have Nehemiah in the scripture. is because he wanted to see restoration. Do you know the reason why we have this postcard letter to Philemon? Is because the Apostle Paul wanted to see restoration. It's very interesting. So this book uh, is not one that you hear preached out of a lot. It just so happens to be our Focus 52 uh, chapter for this week. And so um, (laughs) I'm going to read verse 21 to you because that's our focus verse. But I'm going to be really honest with you. If you've read this chapter at all this week. When you read the 21st verse, it'll set pretty heavy on you. Because he says, Paul says to Philemon, writing this letter to him, he said, I have confidence in your obedience that I wrote to you. He said, I believe that you're going to do what I've asked you to do. He said, but I believe that you're going to do more than I say. I believe you'll obey what I've asked you to do. And I believe you'll do more than I say. Several years ago, I preached a sermon in this church that is mentioned to me, uh, has been mentioned to me probably three or four times lately. Um, I titled it, The Unprofitable Servant, and told the story of uh, the parable that Jesus had told uh, when he said to uh, them about a servant. He said, when you've done all that's been commanded of you, when you've done everything that you've been asked to do, you finished the job. He said, say then, we are unprofitable. Now this is interesting. Because we are a people that believe in the power of commandment. We believe in the word of God. We believe that this word right here is what governs our lives every day. But do you realize that it is a constant teaching and understanding throughout the scripture That when you do what's been commanded of you and that's all you do, you're not bringing profit 
to the kingdom. There must be conviction in our lives that leads us to walk deeper than just what somebody has asked of us to do. That's why we are told in the book of Romans, Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, we read that and we talk about the value of giving yourself. You know, the, 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 you, you can get off into this really deep, and I, this is not ultimately where I'm going, but I do need to touch on this. And we're still trying to figure out how much we can get by without or whatever with our bodies, presenting your bodies. We're still fussing over and debating over in movements like, well, what's really re required of me to do with my body? How much does God care? And people will take Scripture out of context, and they'll go to uh, Samuel and say, well, you know, the Lord looks on, on the heart and man looks on the outward. But Paul kind of puts it in perspective for us when he said, when you have presented your body a living sacrifice unto the Lord, that's only reasonable service. You, you have not done God some great big favor and brought profit to the kingdom of God just because you obeyed. And so this principle is obvious in the Apostle Paul that he carries that same idea because when he writes to Philemon, he says, I trust you're going to do what I've asked you to do. He said, but I hope you'll do more than I ask of you to do. This is powerful. So what is this postcard letter all about? It is absolutely one of the most beautiful pictures of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you read through this, and I, I, I'm not going to take very long tonight, but I want to get this in somebody's spirit. The whole point of the letter is that Paul is sending this letter back to Philemon and he says to him, he said, I greet you. You can tell it's very much Pauline by his opening with the grace and the peace and all of this. He said, I'm greeting you in Jesus' name, but it's with a request. He said, while I've been sitting here in prison, and I wish I had time to really preach this part, you could go with it. He said, while I've been sitting here in prison, I haven't just been sitting here relaxing, Philemon. He said, while I've been here in prison, he said, the Lord sent me a mission field. And he said, I've been sowing seed while I'm in prison. Somebody look at your neighbor and tell them tonight, don't waste the trial. He said, I have been working while I was here in prison. And he said, the Lord gave me a young man to pour myself into. His name is Onesimus. And he said, I have given him this letter to bring to you. He said, the man that I'm talking about is now free and he is the one standing there bringing you this letter that you're reading. He said, Philemon, I've sent Onesimus to you because he has been saved. But the story and understanding, the context behind the story is that this young man by the name of Onesimus used to be a servant and slave to Philemon. 
He was owned by Philemon. And we understand that he ran off and left his job. He left as a servant to Philemon and he ran off. This was a no-no. This was something you did not do. If, if you were being taken care of and you were working for somebody, you didn't run off and leave. As a matter of fact, that is maybe why Onesimus was even in prison in the first place with Paul. It's because it was considered a crime. You were stolen property if you walked away from someone that had rightful uh, owning you. They, they rightfully owned you and you were a servant to their household because... They had paid the price for you. They had gone to a market somewhere and paid the price. Maybe even Onesimus' family had worked for Philemon's family for a long time. Who really knows what happened and how he got there. But this is what we do know. Is that Onesimus had made a mess of his life. And he had walked away from Philemon. But it's amazing how God can intertwine his grace and his mercy into the lives of people that have taken left and right turns when they should have gone the other way or stayed on the straight and the narrow. And there is power in understanding that you really cannot outrun the mercy of God. God knows how to put people in your life at just the right time, at just the right moment. And there is salvation that comes by understanding that God has never taken his eye off of you. And even in moments when you feel forsaken and you feel like you've ran out of all the options, isn't it amazing that God would allow the path of Onesimus to go into a prison and just so happen to be put in a cell with the apostle Paul who had another son in the gospel by the name of Philemon. And they sat down and started talking. He said, tell me about your life, Onesimus. Where have you been? What have you done? He said, well, I ran away from my owner. He said, I ran away. I'm, I'm, I'm a vagabond. I'm on the run. He said, well, tell me a little bit about it. He said, well, his name is Philemon. He said, Philemon. I don't know too many of them. He said, is it the one from, uh, you go town up there, you take a left on 2nd Street and go to the right up there on Hickory Lane. He lives up there at the top of the hills at him. He said, yeah, that's the same one. That's where I used to live. Said, well, why are you here? He said, because I made a mess out of my life. I feel like, I feel like sometimes there is a mistaken spirit that comes. And I want to deal with this tonight. I felt very deeply today thinking thinking about this all day. My mind's just been going over and over and over. I sat on the airplane today thinking, how in the world can I say this, God, the way that you want this to be said? But there is something that has to be dealt with in the spirit of someone. And let's just say for the language tonight, for the sake of uh, the context of the story, that Onesimus basically has backslidden from his calling and what he's supposed to be doing. And he wanders away from... Philemon, and he ends up in prison. And so the misunderstanding is that when we fall in love with Jesus, that just because we've been set free, that he just makes everything right that we've wronged. This is going to be a fun lesson. So the whole book of Philemon is about this thought, and I'm going to just interweave back and forth tonight. I'm going to come back and forth through this story several times, but I'm going to give you the gist. He said, here's the gist, Philemon. This boy has made a mess of his life. 
But while I was here in prison, I didn't waste my time. He said, God has ordered his steps and put him in this prison cell with me. And I've prayed him through to the Holy Ghost. He said, this is not the same man that left you. This is not the same man that forsook you. This is not the same man that wandered off from his job. You paid him, took care of him, gave him a place to sleep, put food on his table. We don't know historically whether he had a family or not. Probably not because he wouldn't have left his family behind at Philemon's house. He was more than likely a young man in his 20s that got to feeling his oats. Does anybody know anybody in your life that once they hit their late teens, boy, they're smart. I don't know what the trigger is, but somewhere around 17 years old, they become the smartest people in the world. It's amazing. And the older you get, you wish so bad. You wish so very bad. I wish it almost 40 years old that I knew now what I thought I knew at 17. Somebody either say amen or oh me. And Onesimus runs off and he's got the world by the tail and he's like, Psh, I don't need you anymore. I don't need this life. This is not for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And he ends up in prison. God shows mercy to him. It happens to be by the Apostle Paul. But he said, Philemon, I'm sending this letter to you because... I want you to know that this boy that's standing on your front porch right now that's carrying this letter is not the same man that left you. He said he may have made a mistake, but God brought him to prison, put him by me. He has been converted. He's been, how do we know that, that that's what he said? He said he, he's been converted. I want him to the Lord. That means he's been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. He's been converted. We got all that taken care of. He said, as a matter of fact, he's become a partner to me in this prison cell. He said he has become a blessing to me. And he said, uh, one translation I read today said it like this, said, I actually feel like by sending him back to you that I'm cutting off my right arm. He said, you're not going to recognize this, this Onesimus. You're not going to recognize him. Can I preach to you tonight and tell you that the transforming power of Jesus Christ will absolutely make you a different person than you were when you messed up? I pray that God gets a hold of us so much that the people that used to know us don't even know us anymore. He said, I made sure, and I'm filling in these blanks for y'all right here now. So we're just weaving through this story. But he's saying to him in layman's terms, he's saying, I, I want you to be sure that we didn't just throw him in the water and him come up a wet center. He said, I spent some time talking with this boy. I, I wanted to be sure that his heart was right. Before I sent him back to you. I don't want to send him back to restoration. And him still having the same desires that he had when he left. Oh I wish I could preach this a little bit. It does no good for us to come back. To the master and sit at his feet. Just to be blessed long enough to get a, another check. And go back and do what we want to do. He said, I want you to know, Philemon, that Onesimus is not coming to you to draw one more paycheck because he ran out of money and he needs to pay his bail bond and he needs to get all this taken care of and then he's going to run off and leave again. He said, I want you to know, Philemon, that his heart has been changed. His life has been changed. He said, but this is what I want you to know is that everything he has done wrong, it's going to be made right. This is what I got to deal with right here. Oh, God, help me. This is tough. I want to tell you 
that I believe the Holy Ghost does a lot of things for us. But one of the greatest things it does for us is give us discernment. And I, I'm going to teach you very straightly. I believe this is part of the disciple-making process. If you're a, a fairly new convert, come to the Lord. Maybe recently just started sitting under this ministry, just started attending this church. I want to tell you about some things that are going to free you tonight and give you freedom like you've never known in your life, okay? When you come to the Lord... There are still going to be things outside of the kingdom of God that transpired in your life that you're going to have to carry some weight from those things you did. That doesn't mean you're not forgiven. It means we live in this world. And I, I don't know of anybody, so let me clarify, I don't know of one single person in this church that owes anybody a dime, okay? So before you think I'm throwing darts, I'm just using this as an analogy. If you owe somebody money, go pay it. That ain't, that ain't my problem. If you owe money, go, get, go take care of it. That's not what I've come to preach. But I want you to understand what happens right here. He said, if Onesimus owes you a debt, it's going to be taken care of. Why is that important? I want to tell you. Because when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of your life, it brings with it nine fruits of the Spirit. And you don't have the Holy Ghost just because you speak in tongues. You have the Holy Ghost, and the proof that you have the Holy Ghost is when you're bearing fruit in your life. When you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Is this okay? I'm going to pastor you right here for just a few minutes. It's going to seem a little bit heavy, but I want to help somebody get free before you leave here tonight. The thought that everything you've done and everywhere you've been just disappears because you come to God is a mistake and a misnomer. If you owe somebody $100 and you come to God and you repent of your sins and you're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, you still owe somebody $100. Man, I wish y'all would sit down. Y'all are running, wearing me out tonight. Pastor, why do I still owe $100? That's a part of who I was. I understand that. But now it's time to show the world who you are. I firmly believe that your debts need to be paid when you come to the Lord. I believe that because people need to see a difference in your life. They need to know that you're not the same old person that ripped them off last time. But when you come back to them and they think you're coming to borrow money, but you come with money in your hand and you say, hey, the Lord touched my heart. And I've been praying and I don't feel right about this. I want to give you this back. If I got to do it for the next five weeks and give you $20 a week, that's what I'm going to do. They're going to look at you and say, have you lost your mind? And the answer is, yes, I have. Because I'm not the same person that I used to be. I have a new mind. I'm not that same old person anymore. I'm not a thief. I'm not a robber. I'm not a druggie. I'm not a dopehead. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not here to ask you for drug money. I'm here to bring this to you and tell you I am a new creature in Christ. Man, oh man, oh man. Somebody shout amen or oh me. Now, folks, before you get upset, I want to tell you this is in your Bible, not my notes. 
you got to figure out that a part of the transforming power of the Word of God and the Holy Ghost in your life is the witness that you live after you've been transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And if people don't see the difference in your life after you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, forgive me if I sound too heavy tonight, but I want to tell you, you need a better dose of the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't believe, I've heard people say before, they didn't get the same Holy Ghost I got. Well, my, my problem with that statement is, there's only one Holy Ghost. So I can't, I can't just say you didn't get the same Holy Ghost I got. I'd actually probably be a little bit heavier and say, I don't think they got the Holy Ghost at all. Is that too heavy? You can buy me a cheeseburger. I know where I can get a good one. Praise God. So here's what, here's what I feel like the Lord sent me here to help somebody with tonight. The power of how grace and mercy works. Because the Apostle Paul makes this statement to Philemon. He says to him, he said, I want you to receive him back. But this time, he's not only returning as a servant. He is returning to you as a brother in the Lord. Think about that now. Verse 16. Not now. As a servant, this is so powerful, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both, notice this now, this is, this is what deliverance looks like, this is going to mess with your head. Woo, I went and got the Holy Ghost. My past is erased. Everything's gone. It's all fixed. He said, not only in the flesh, but in the Lord. He said, there's things that's got to be made right in the flesh and in the Lord. He said, but I want you to know his flesh has been fixed because of what happened to him in the Lord. And he said, now you're not just receiving him back and hiring him back as a servant. You're hiring him back as a brother that is beloved. As a brother that has been transformed. Now, I want to show you how the mercy of the brotherhood is. If you love your brother. I want you to understand that this is Paul writing a letter for mercy on behalf of his brother. And Paul says to him, he said to him in verse 17, he said, if you count me, Philemon, if you count me as a partner... Then receive him like you would receive me. Oh, this is some powerful teaching in the word right here. I wonder what kind of trust you have to be able to have in somebody to say to them, I give you my word that they've been restored. And I want you to receive them the same way that you would receive me. I want you to think about that. It's amazing that Paul didn't get on Facebook and tell about how awful this guy was. He sent a letter to Philemon and said, hey, I've been praying with him. I'm invested in him. I've been working with him. Receive him. And when he walks through the door, I want you to treat him the same way that you would treat me. 
That's faith. How do you know that, Pastor? Because Paul never knew Onesimus outside of a prison cell. You ever heard of jailhouse religion? It happens. I've preached to people many a times. Brother Frank, y'all been with me before. We preached to them, man. They're ready to give their heart to God that night until they get out. And when they get out, they forget what the Lord did for them. And their petition is made known by the predicament that they're in. I've had people backslid out of this church and end up in jail. And I go preach. I'm like, well, surprised to see you here. You know? Preach, and they're like, I want to do right. I want to do right. I want to do right. They get out. They don't want to do right. What was so transformational in the life of Onesimus that Paul knew he could speak for him? He said, I know this is deeper than jailhouse religion. How did Paul know that Onesimus had been so transformed that he wasn't just going to revert back to the old man that he was when he got out of jail and go back to Philemon's house and wreck his house and mess him up and just run off again? How did he know that? And this is something that I feel like i got to just take a break and teach on for a few minutes right here. We hear a lot of preaching and teaching about soul winning. Somebody say soul winning. But I want to clarify my position as your pastor in this church on what soul winning is. And I want to tell you that soul winning is not getting somebody to come to church with you, get them baptized, and then tell them to fend for themselves. That's not soul winning. That was the day that somebody... Repented of their sins, baptized in Jesus' name, maybe filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, it's what we want. We want to see them saved. But once they've been saved, how do you know what happens in their life after salvation? I can tell you. When the Apostle Paul finished with the home Bible study in prison, he kept investing in Onesimus every day. And when Paul said, it's prayer time, son, Onesimus bowed his head in prayer. And when Paul said it's time to get in the word of God, Onesimus, he didn't have to ask. He looked over and Onesimus already had the word of God out. He was investing in him beyond his conversion. He was investing in him. What is soul winning? Soul winning is taking somebody by the hand and saying, once you come up out of the water, I'm still going to walk with you. I'm going to hold your hand. We're going to walk through this together. We're going to work through this together. Somebody said to me one time, they asked me about what kind of Bible studies I teach. And as, as long as I can remember, I've taught search for truth. All my life, I've taught search for truth. It's long. It's a, it's a very long Bible study. Like, I, I've actually gone on in certain people's houses teaching search for truth and spent 25, 26 weeks in their house just trying to get through the Bible study. It, it takes forever. And somebody said to me, they were like, well... I may teach that one someday, but do you have anything that's quicker? I'm I'm being honest. They said, do you have something that I can get through a little quicker? Something that we can get through this a little bit faster? And so the answer is always, well, yes, we have a couple of things like into his marvelous light. Uh, That's a one-hour Bible study. You sit down and you kind of go through the plan of salvation. Anybody in here ever taught into his marvelous light or received into his marvelous light? It's good. 
mean, Sister Lori did it in the office. Uh, and I think you had it twice, I think, didn't you? Didn't you say you got it twice? Man, she's got a double dose of it. Great Bible study. It's on the new birth. But what, what about after they've been born again? What about how do I grow up? They said, well, I, like, I'm not real comfortable going to their house for 21 weeks. I'm not real comfortable going to their house for 13 weeks. Listen, I want to tell you how discipleship works. And I, I don't know if this is loud enough or I'm spitting far enough or whatever to get this in your spirit. I want this to get down in the spirit of this church tonight. Sister Carpenter said this this morning, and I, and I may not be saying this verbatim. I may not be saying this verbatim, but I, it's, it's pretty close. Sister Carpenter said this morning that teaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God is not a calling, it's a commandment. Well, Pastor, that's not my personality. I'm not called to teach Bible studies. You are. It's not a calling. It's a commandment. And I want to show you the power of discipleship. We look at the big world. We want to win the world. We give to missions. This church, in the last couple months, we've given thousands of dollars to missions. Because you were given. And we've been paying tithes on all the money that's come in for PCA. We've been tithing on that to foreign missionaries. Is that awesome? God's been blessing this church. We've given thousands of dollars to missions. And we want to win the world. We do. And while we're looking at how in the world are we going to get back into Israel, what are we going to do? How are we going to get into Israel and have revival again? How, what are we going to do in the Middle East? How are we going to get over, you know, and, and uh, man, I, I want to go to Africa. Like, I don't, but, you know. <laughs> how are we going to get there? What are we going to do? How, how in the world are we going to do that? And we've got cousins, brothers, sisters, friends, people we work with. It's something that the Greek call your oikos. Is this too slow for everybody? Is this okay? Man, I don't want you all falling asleep. I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it short tonight. This is how we transform our city. We stop looking at 65,000, 69,000 people. We stop looking at 60-some thousand people and saying, we want to win this city. And we start talking to people that we've already joined hands with. The Greek call it your oikos. It's your circle of influence. Somebody said, I've seen that before. Yes, you have. It's on yogurt. Oikos yogurt. Greek yogurt, by the way. I'm trying to figure out how that's yogurt and influence. I don't know. But anyway, it's the sphere of influence. The people, well, pastor, what if I, what if I teach somebody that asks me that million-dollar question and I don't have the answer? Well, if they trust you already, then they're going to trust your heart when you look them square in the eye and say, I'm not really sure about that, but if you'll give me some time to study that, I'll get back to you on that. We're, we're not trying. I, look, God knows that Congress and Senate and all them people in Washington, they need a bunch of Holy Ghost. Like a bunch of it, oh my God. But I'm not probably going to get to teach any of them a Bible study. But the people that God brings into my life and say, man, I love you, bro. I'm so thankful God let me meet you. I'm so glad we did business together. That's why everywhere we go, my wife says, I'll wait on you in the car. 
I love people. I love to be with people. I don't just want to meet you and come do business there. I want to get to know you. I, I want you to know who I am. I want you to know who my kids are. I want you to know who my family is. When I come in, I want you to know I love it when I walk in and they know what I want to order. They know my name. They know where I come. Why? How does that happen? Because you spend time and you go places that you don't really uh, have the time to go, but you go anyway because you, you're on a mission. And when you finally get to where people trust you and they know you're not the kook that they've heard Pentecostals are, well, people think we're crazy. If they know you, they know better. Well, I mean, at least 99% of you. Maybe a few of you. I don't know. Well, they just think we're all crazy. Well, then show them different. Do you know that before I've taught some people Bible studies, I've spent hundreds of dollars on food? Now, I'm not saying this to be glorified. Understand me. I'm telling you. John Maxwell said it best in his leadership principles. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. How does Paul know that Onesimus is a different man? Because he kept investing in him after his conversion. How do people know that you're a true child of God? Listen, I love to see when new people come to God and they start living certain ways and doing certain things before they've ever heard me preach it. They just start changing their life. And I know I've never had a conversation with them, but somebody has got to them and the Holy Ghost leads them. And they've been connected with somebody and they've been watching you and they've been listening to how you worship. I had a precious man in this church tell me one time, he said, when I came to the Lord, I didn't know how to pray. And he said, I sat in the prayer room and said, Lord, how do I pray? And he said, all of a sudden, I started hearing a man in this church pray. And the Lord said, that's how I want you to pray. Wouldn't it be something to know that people are watching you and they're watching how you worship and they're watching how you pray and they're watching how you live? I'll tell you how I believe that Onesimus had made his impression on the Apostle Paul. It was when Onesimus started waking up in the morning and the first thing that came out of his mouth was not what he had been through, but he woke up and said, Paul, I feel the Holy Ghost in here this morning. I know we're in a prison, but God's been speaking to me. I believe that Paul knew it when he woke up in the morning and Onesimus said the Lord woke me up in a dream last night and told me there's some things in my life that I need to make right and when I get out of here I'm going to go make it right I believe that's how he knew I believe he knew because he stayed with him if you read the chapter closely you kind of get the picture that Onesimus is freed from the prison and continues to come back to Paul in the prison. Does anybody else see that? It's like he's coming back to the jail that he was taken out of to glean wisdom from the man of God every day. And finally, Paul says to him, Son, I believe you're ready to stand on your own two feet. And it's time for you to go back home to Philemon and make things right. And this right here is so powerful. I thank God for you precious people. I thank God for the people in this church that love me and love my family. That are willing to stand up. Listen, if we won't stand up for one another, we're not brothers for one another. And Paul said, look, I'm not going to send you to Philemon's house empty handed. He said, last night I wrote a letter. 
and I'm going to speak up on your behalf. And when you go stand before Philemon, I don't know what I'm going to say when I get there. He said, you just hand in this letter and let this letter do the talking for you. You, you go tell Philemon that this came from the Apostle Paul. He said, hand him that letter. And when he opens it up and starts reading, he said, I'm going to speak on behalf of you, Onesimus. I want him to know that Jesus made a difference in your life. I'm telling you right now, I believe that one of the greatest treasures we have is the body of Christ that will stand together. He said, and tell him this right here. He said, you tell Philemon that any debt you owe him, if you can't pay it, I'll come pay it when I get out. I want you to know tonight, brother, I stand with you. I want you to know tonight, sister, I stand with you. I want you to know tonight, child of God, I stand with you. And when the enemy starts trying to wreck your life, I want the enemy to know he's got to come through me to get to you. I want the enemy to know we're a family and he's got to come through all of us if he's going to get one of us. So if you would receive him as you would have received me. Verse 19, I love this. He said, I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I'm speaking on behalf of my brother. And he said, I will repay it. I will repay it. And then he asked him, he says, brother, I have confidence that you're going to do what I've asked you to do. But is there any way you'd let mercy work in your life? And even though he doesn't deserve it, would you restore Onesimus into your house? Is there anybody here tonight that is grateful for restoration even when you didn't deserve it? <laughs> I'm so glad this is not about how good I've been. I'm so glad this is not about how much money I've got. I'm so glad this is not about how awesome I am. I want you to know that in spite of your failures, in spite of your faults, there is somebody that will speak up on your behalf and say, Lord, you've done a work in their life. Restore them to the fold. Hallelujah. Let's stand together tonight. I love this. The, the last... 21 and 22, he told him, he said, I know you're going to go beyond what I've told you, but I love the 22nd verse. I love this. He said, and here's what I want you to do, Philemon. He said, I want you to get my room ready. Because in just a few days when I come out of here, I'm going to come stay with you too. He said, get my room ready, Philemon, because I'm coming. And he said, we're going to rejoice together over what God has done in the life of Onesimus. I feel tonight that one of the greatest things we lack sometimes is the ability to rejoice with others. I don't know, uh, I don't have time to go into this deep and teach about this, but I, I want to tell you. It should, it should never trouble you. It should always bless you when someone is blessed and restored. 
should. Should always bless you. Luke 15, the Lord painted a picture for us of that, of, of a brother that got angry. Because the brother that came home and was restored got more attention than he did. It should never anger us when God restores somebody. We stand back and say, well, they don't deserve that. Well, neither do I. I just, I can't believe the way people dote on them. I can't believe the way people do that. Listen, I'm just going to tell you this tonight. I'm going to tell you this. I try to love other people the way I would want people to love my children if it was my kids coming back to the Lord. I'm being honest with you. I want people to love other folks the way they would if it, the way I would if it was my sister coming back to God. I don't, I don't ever, I don't ever want to be ugly when God restores somebody and say, well, I've been here the whole time. I, I, I'm the one that deserves the, the, the good boy treatment. You know what? Y'all better get a room ready for me. Because when God restores your kids and God restores your family, I'm coming to your house and we're going to rejoice together. Are you hearing me? We're going to come to this house right here. We're going to take hands. We're going to dance and shout together. We're going to believe God for it. Hallelujah. Restoration is an amazing thing. But I hope that it's understood the way restoration works. God doesn't just restore us. There's some things we have to restore back. And I pray that God would give you a brother and a sister in this house that would speak on your behalf and say, look, let's let the ministry of restoration and reconciliation work in their lives. How many of you want to be a restorer? Amen. I do too. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, I honor your great name tonight. What a privilege it is to know you and to love you and to be loved by you. I pray tonight, Lord, for those that you are restoring and working on right now. I pray, God, that somebody would be with them, connect with them, love them, put their arm around them. Lord, love them through hard times. I pray, God, that the spirit of uh, reconciliation would function in this church, Lord, as we are making disciples on a weekly basis. Let us be certain that we don't abandon them and walk away from them, Lord, because we're tired and we're weary. I pray that you would strengthen your church tonight. God, restore us that we could restore others. I praise you for it, Lord. I'm asking you to keep your hand upon us and keep us safe as we leave this house. And we'll be forever grateful in Jesus' mighty name. Let the church say amen.